This is Jennifer Gonzalez welcoming you to episode 143 of the Cult of Pedagogy podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to teach social-emotional learning by starting with yourself. Social-emotional learning has gotten a lot of attention over the last few years, and I'm glad. When we attempt to work with other humans, our emotions and the way we relate to one another have a huge influence on the quality of our work. There's just no getting around it. So for the best academic results, we owe it to ourselves and our students to give time and attention to their social and emotional well-being. While most teachers would agree with this in theory, they may not feel equipped to incorporate social emotional learning, or SEL, into their instruction. It might be that they haven't found the right materials, or they don't feel they have the skill set to do it, or that there's just not enough time on top of everything else that has to get done. My guest today is Wendy Turner, a second grade teacher and the 2017 Delaware Teacher of the Year. In her work, Wendy always had a gut feeling that SEL was not just important, but was the most important part of her job. Through her years in the classroom, she discovered that some of the most effective SEL instruction didn't come from a book or a binder. It came from working on her own social-emotional skills and sharing that process with her students. In this episode, she's going to share with us how she does that, and I think you'll find it an easy process to replicate with your own students. I'm recording this in April of 2020 in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Since this whole thing started and schools closed worldwide, I've had to rethink the topics that I plan to focus on here on the podcast. A whole lot of them are going to be related to remote or distance learning, since that's going to be the way many teachers deliver instruction for the foreseeable future. But other topics like this one are still absolutely relevant to our teaching. For one thing, students' social-emotional needs are changing under these conditions, and in many cases they're getting more acute. Secondly, we can still address social-emotional needs remotely. The approach described in this episode, where we model the competencies ourselves, can be done through our video chats, in our emails to students, in any communication we do with them. We can add personal reflections to our weekly updates, talk about how we're adjusting and coping, and share the ways we feel we're falling short. So as you listen, if you're listening during this period of emergency remote learning, don't dismiss it. There are ways to do this even from a distance, and now might be a more important time to do it than ever before. Before we get started, I want to thank Blue Apple for sponsoring this episode. I know we're all scrambling to figure out our way amidst all this uncertainty, but it might be nice to use some of this time to explore resources we don't usually have time to explore. You will return to your classroom someday. So let me tell you about the PBL units at Blue Apple. I want to tell you about an amazing fourth grade teacher named Paul Solars. When Paul looked at his students, he didn't see their potential to score well on standardized tests. He saw their potential to change the world. He helped them create and publish their own podcasts about issues they cared about, which empowered them to share their ideas and their voices. Blue Apple has partnered with teachers like Paul to build PBL units that you and your students will absolutely love. They've found the industry experts, connected the projects to cross-curricular, standards-aligned content, and provided lesson plans, resources, and supplies. In short, Blue Apple does the heavy lifting so you can do what you do best, teach. Teach. 
Blue Apple projects are a game changer in the world of PBL. They strike a nice balance by giving enough structure to save you time, but enough flexibility that you can easily adapt them to your students' needs. Check out blueappleteacher.org to explore the projects. When you find one you love, use the coupon code CULT20 to get 20% off. Again, that's the code CULT20 at blueappleteacher.org. Support also comes from World 101. Do your students actually understand what a trade deficit is? Do they understand the difference between a refugee and an asylum seeker? Do they know that zombies have something to teach us about fighting pandemics? If you answered no to any of these questions, check out World 101 from the Council on Foreign Relations. World 101 is a growing library of free multimedia resources that explains the fundamentals of international relations and foreign policy through engaging interactive storytelling. And did I mention it's free? World 101 will help your students become better informed, invest in their futures, and make a difference. Get them started today at world101.cfr.org. That's world101.cfr.org. Now here's my conversation with Wendy Turner about teaching social-emotional learning. Wendy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, this is um, we're we're right in the middle of coronavirus stuff right now, so we just got done talking about how you know we had planned on doing this topic a while ago before everybody was talking about coronavirus, but we're just going to press forward anyway because eventually maybe schools will be back in session and we're all hoping. of this other stuff is going to be relevant. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking about social emotional learning today, and uh, before we get into it. Um, why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are as an educator and why you're interested in this topic? Sure. Um, so I have been teaching for 10 years. I changed my career at age 40 to become a teacher. I teach second grade. And um, that happened because I just wanted to do something more meaningful. I was in the business world before that. And mm, I've always, yeah, it's, it's funny. I think being in the business world all those years has helped me quite a bit because you yeah. navigate uh, many personalities and situations, and that just helps you because you're dealing with people all the time as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, always have been focused on thinking about how to help kids be successful human beings. Um, when I had to write a really early version of my teaching philosophy, I, I wrote just that. And um, had a few challenging situations in the beginning of my career that just said, kind of like screamed to me that, um, being on top of social emotional learning and um, understanding ourselves and our emotions and helping people navigate them is key to the academic success you want to pursue. Right. Absolutely. And and so this really is a very hot topic in education. We hear about SEL and social emotional learning, you know, all the time. Um, and probably one of the most common bits of pushback a lot of teachers will give is that they just they they get why it's important, but they just haven't been able to figure out. Um, how to teach it, how to fit it into the day. Sometimes they're looking for curriculum that they can use to, to actually teach it. Mm -hmm. And you have actually sort of personally discovered a, a much more sort of effective and efficient way of working SEL into the school day. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, it's a it's a really valid concern saying, I have so much on my plate. I've got pacing guides to take care of and testing coming up. I can't fit this in. And I think mm -hmm. a reason that that uh, pops up like that is because it's not really addressed in preparation programs. So no. <laughs> how are you supposed yeah. to do something that wasn't even mentioned in your preparation, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. a lot of us come to teaching with one uh, classroom management class under our belt, and we're supposed to make everything work with that. And that's just not really reasonable. Um, right. 
so people say, I, I can't do this. And, um, but if I'm going to do this, I need a binder of lessons. I need a, a roadmap. And I, I say, no, it's not a binder. I say it's not a set of lessons. I say it's really a way of life in the classroom. And yeah. it's just got to be authentically embedded in everything you do. And I, I think the way you do it is that you have to take some time in the beginning of your time with students to teach some key terms. And you have to look mm-hmm. at the um, competencies. Castle lays out five competencies really nicely. And if you just focus back on those big ideas and you use language that reinforces how to grow the skill sets that make up the competencies, you can embed it into every single thing that you're doing. Um, I teach second grade. So I'm with my students all day. I teach every subject and I don't have a block for social emotional learning. But I will tell you that we authentically work on social emotional learning multiple times every single day. Yeah. And, and really the focus of, we're, we're uh, building this interview really off of a guest blog post that you're writing right. for, for my site. And the focus that you're taking there is that really the adults, the teachers need to work on their own SEL competencies. And that if we do that, and then are transparent with our students and how we model that, that that really takes care of a huge bulk of the SEL curriculum. Exactly. So it's going to flow through us. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be part of the oxygen in the room. And I don't think it's one more thing. I actually think it's the thing. And um, as we get into the competencies, we'll dive into what each of them are. But there's no way, really, if you think about it, does it make any sense to ask kids to do and say and be certain things if we're not doing it ourselves? Right, right. It would be totally inauthentic. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So... um... Why don't we go ahead and get, and CASEL stands for, and I might be putting you on the spot. No, I think I got it. Um, Okay. It's the Collaborative for Academic and Social Emotional Learning. Perfect. And so whenever we talk about CASEL, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, I should have stated that earlier. You can go to their um, website, CASEL.org, and it will all be laid out. They're a phenomenal uh, resource. I'm a big fan. Okay, great. And we're going to also link to that in your uh, blog post so people can come and find that. And that's going to be episode 143, I believe. So they can find all those resources there. So they have sort of come up with what they're calling five competencies Mm -hmm. of social emotional learning. So I think the way that we decided we're going to structure this conversation is to just go through these one at a time, talk about how teachers can develop them within themselves, and then how how you personally have have modeled these within your own classroom. And I think that'll really help people to get an idea of how this actually plays out on a day-to-day basis in the classroom. Yes, exactly. Um, and so I'll start by saying that for us visual learners, Castle has a wheel. It's a, it's a really nice visual with different colors. It has the five competencies on it. Mm-hmm. And so I just like that visual is kind of burned into my brain. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. uh, when I'm in the classroom going through a situation, I'm thinking, okay, right now this conversation is all about self-awareness or self-management. Right. And once you kind of commit those five ideas to memory and connect them to what you're thinking, doing, and saying, it becomes very natural. Yeah. So that's a great starting place. Good, good. So people maybe will get that wheel in their own heads after a while. Too. Exactly. We're going to put that into the post. So let's let's get started with the first competency. Okay. So the first one I'd like to talk about is self-awareness. And this is just like it sounds. It's really all about knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think the big idea here is knowing your strengths and weaknesses so that you know what you need to work on. And then once you identify areas that you're not great at, um, not running from them, but running towards them right? And then Mm -hmm. sharing those journeys um, with your students. So um, for instance, I will let you know that um, I have not always been the most patient person, right? Mm -hmm. So I've had to learn that I could sometimes maybe um, lose my cool quickly and I need to develop more patience. So I have to notice that and then I have to think about ways that I can actually do that. 
So when I find myself in a situation where I'm becoming impatient or I'm getting that like itchy, awkward feeling, Mm -hmm. I can count backwards from 10 in my head very slowly to kind of just kind of slow things down. Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly, I tell my students what I'm good at and what I'm not so good at. I'm great at a lot of things, but for instance, I'm a really bad cook. Mm-hmm. And I know that, and I I take that very hard sometimes because I'm a mom, and I'm like I should be good at this, and I should know how to do it, and I just don't. And um, yeah, so I've had to work on that. And um, there's a good story in my classroom last year. We um our classes in second grade, we connected with a classroom in Africa, in Nigeria, mm-hmm. and um, to make our connection as authentic as possible, we started to learn about Nigerian culture, and we learned about some of the foods that they eat, and one of them was called akara, and it's a breakfast food made out of bean paste. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we learned about it, you know, I've got a room of seven and eight year olds who are like, can we have some? Can we try some? Can you make us some? And I'm standing there going, uh, sure, no problem. (laughs) And then I realized that I actually have to cook this thing myself. Yeah. So, um, not wanting to disappoint my students, I run towards this challenge and I realized that it's a really labor intensive cooking act. You have to actually soak and peel beans by hand. Peeling beans sounds like the most mundane task, right. pe- peeling individuals, it's like peeling grapes or right. something like that. And right? and in the way um, we cook and live, not many people, you know, we have like a lot of like ready to eat things or microwavable things, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I had to research ways you have to like soak the beans and then the skins come off a lot more easily. Um, mm-hmm. You can put them in a blender on a slow speed, but you still have to go through them by hand. Right. So I'm doing all this in my house and my kids and my husband are looking at me like, what are you doing? You never cook. And here you are standing over the counter painstakingly peeling these beans. And I said, well, I want to do this for my students. And I actually really want to do it for myself because I want to prove that I can do something and show the idea of a growth mindset in action, you know, for my, Mm -hmm. for my kids and for my students. Mm -hmm. So I get through this um, whole thing, whole thing, preparing the beans. And then you, um, use spices and you create this paste and you fry it. And I just took some videos of me frying um, the beans and they were delicious. So, Oh, wow. I know. So we ended up eating them in class. And when I came to class, I explained to the kids what I did and it, I didn't just say, Hey guys, here's some Akara. Let's try it. I, I told them the whole story of how it was hard for me. Yeah. And I had to do a lot of research and take a lot of time. And so what did these kids do? They cheered mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And then we ate the food together and they really enjoyed it. So it was a simple uh, journey for me where I took the time to kind of like point to a weakness I had, um, yeah. my grasping a gross mindset around, I can do this task with some effort and some perseverance and then sharing that journey. Um, so I hope that that would inspire some students of mine along the way. And um, we actually did do some growth mindset homework where the kids had to uh, learn something new over the course of a week and then share it. And some kids did um, use some cooking skills and, and things like that. So I could see that coming alive through them after that happened. Nice. And so everybody's really in that sort of vulnerable space of, of trying new stuff and kind of monitoring where they are. And Yeah. And vulnerable yeah. is okay. Actually, vulnerable is great. Yeah. You also um, mentioned in the post this whole concept of reframing and how that can really be a helpful tool yeah. to to be a part of self-awareness. Talk a little bit about how you've shown that to your students. Yeah. So reframing is the practice of when you have a challenging situation or an ideal situation in front of you, you just look at it from another angle. So it's not mm-hmm. this like, um, you know, silver lining, rosy rosy outlook all the time. It's saying like, yeah, this kind of stinks, but I'm Mm going to look at it a different way. Mm -hmm. So something that's typical in elementary schools is uh, indoor recess when it rains or if it's there's snow on the ground, you can't get outside. Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of people just don't like that. It's a departure from routine. And we know it's better for kids to run around rather than be inside. But I just reframe it as, hey, this is a time for us um, to just uh, hang out together. And um, actually, it's a great time for my kids to work on their social emotional learning skills, working together, partner work, um, figuring out how to make games work and yeah. things like that, and just working on communication skills. Mm-hmm. So I reframe indoor recess as like an awesome opportunity. And the other thing for me is that if I'm in my room with my kids, I can get things done, yeah. right? So I can set up this space for them to enjoy each other, um, get into some relationship building skills. And I might be able to like, you know, stuff the folders or get something organized for a science lesson later that day. So I always try and reframe something like that into a, a positive experience. Yeah. And you actually do an exercise with students where you you look at scenarios and you actually give students practice with reframing? Yeah. So we do a lot of community building circles in um, our classroom. My school is working with restorative practices this year. So um, community building circles might be where you take a topic and you just explore the answers in a circle form. And so we might start out with something like a scenario. Mm -hmm. And then I'll ask students to go around in a circle with a talking piece and reframe the scenario. Mm -hmm. So the scenario might be something um, like, you know, I'm out at recess and -and so-and-so won't play with me or the soccer field is full. And then how do you reframe that? And people come up with things like, well, I'll try something different. I'll learn something new. I'll maybe make a new friend. Maybe I'll just walk quietly around the walking path myself Mm -hmm. to have some time and they can get unstuck, get away from that idea that it's a negative thing and find something good in it. That's a great skill to teach them. And it gets better with practice. We, we, we always get better at what we practice. So you have to intentionally build these in, but so that's like a great social emotional learning moment, but it's embedded in my morning community building meeting. It's not an add on. It's not extra. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this seems like it segues directly into the second competency. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Which is what? So self-management. And uh, really that's just managing yourself and your emotions and what you're doing and saying. Mm -hmm. So I think that also um, it's an opportunity for you to learn and model this. Um, What you have to do is you have to learn to recognize physical signs and signals that you're about to lose it. Right. Mm. So what we want to do is we want to name emotions we want to normalize hard ones, and then we want to know what to do when really difficult ones come up. Mm. And you can't say, um, "Oh, you can't, you can't get sad, mad, or angry." No, you can yeah. be all of those things in a classroom, um, in in the world. But you have to learn what to do when they happen. Right. So, specifically, I have really worked on this very hard over the last couple of years, and um, I'm very uh, attuned to the physical signs of me starting to get upset. So, <laughs> for instance. Uh, my ears get really red, like blood goes to my ears. Why that is, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. Telltale sign. Uh-huh. Sometimes my jaw twitches. I'm like, what is going on? But my jaw will twitch. Yeah. And um, I get this like intense feeling of annoyance. And, you know, I've had things happen in front of my kids. Like I've had a teacher just burst into my room and start yelling at me about something. I've had parents um, sometimes, you know, we have something happen where people are very upset. Um I had a situation where our administrative team was helping me um, to do something or asked me to do something and I was getting upset about that. So there are opportunities aplenty <laughs> in your day and your life as an educator. Yeah. And um, a lot of times we, so I'll back up a way that I help the students um, work towards this competency is we wear these bracelets in my classroom, mm-hmm. little rubber bracelets that are red, green, or yellow. And kids can put them on to indicate how they're feeling. Are you feeling great? Are you feeling like kind of uncomfortable or so-so? Or are you just really having a terrible day? And um, 
this scenario I had where a teacher came into my room, she was really upset with me and she started getting very angry with me in front of my kids. I was wearing a green bracelet that day, but after that happened, I changed my bracelet right in front of the kids and I sat down and I told them I needed a minute and they were like, oh my God, Mrs. Turner's on red. <laughs> but I was able- Were they really quiet during that time? It was like pin drop staring at me, all these eyes following me across the room, like what is going um... on? But it was really me just managing my emotions yeah. in front of them. And it wasn't scripted. It wasn't planned. Um, and I think that's the most authentic type of learning you can do as well. And then as you get better at identifying the signs that you're getting upset, you can start to do things that will help you um, avoid a complete meltdown. Or um, you can model for yourself and uh, for people around you how to how to deal with it. So we have all kinds of things in our classroom, like a cool down corner, uh, little benches where you can take a breath. Um, kids can go out to uh, exercise stations in the hallway if they need to, or get a uh, drink of water. And those are just norms now. Um, so that's how all of us can help each other develop that by doing that authentically in front of each other. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that story, uh, the story of, of, the, of you doing that. I mean, that's just, those are some of the most important moments in the classroom when you can just be just really authentic and vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. Um, Talk a little bit about this closed fist, open fist idea that you share with your students too. Yeah. It helps a little bit with self-regulation. So there's a hand model of the brain, and that's um, developed by Dr. Dan Siegel at the UCLA uh, Medical Center. And I'm a trainer for the authors of Fostering Resilient Learners. We do training to support uh, trauma-informed and trauma-invested learning environments. So one tool that we can use is we can teach our students how um, the brain works and use brain language. So um, I think we're going to have this video embedded in the blog piece as well, but you can create a hand model um, of your brain by just closing, holding up your hand, having a closed fist. And mm -hmm. when that fist is closed, um, that's when you're doing well, you're in your learning brain and your emotions are regulated. And when you get dysregulated or you have a big emotion, anger, sadness, frustration, we do what we call flip our lid. And if you're using the hand model, your uh, fingers flip up away from the rest of your brain and that's you not in your learning brain. So a lot of times in school, you know, kids who are quote unquote behavior problems, they're just experiencing dysregulation and you really can't learn when you're dysregulated and you have that moment that that lid flip with your brain. Yeah. So we have to help our students recognize that, recognize when it may be coming and then give them strategies to uh, regulate again so they can get back to that place of learning. It's a powerful model. It's also nonverbal. I love nonverbal tools like the, the bracelets and the yeah. hand model. They're all nonverbal because when this is happening, you really don't want to talk to people, right? It's not time to get into a conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so having those signals really helps everybody else in the room yeah. understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, and I wish, you know, it's funny, I've, I've written about those bracelets a lot and shared about it. And um, I've had so many people tell me, gosh, I wish we had these at work for like the adults. Mm, right. Right. And so yeah. then if you just yeah. know when people are having a hard time or you could um, change the way you're responding to them or just be a little supportive, that I feel like that would be amazing. Definitely. Gosh, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the third. Okay, so the next one is social awareness. And this okay. is really all about being aware of others around you, um, appreciating diverse people and viewpoints. And I think if you boil this down to one word, it's empathy, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now we need a lot of empathy for what's based on what's going on in the world. Um, mm -hmm. And once you start to have empathy for the other adults in your school building, including administrators, um, and also empathy for your students, things can can really change. So yeah. 
um, you have to teach that word empathy to your students and you have to kind of uh, point to it when it happens and also point to it when it's not happening to get them to understand it concretely. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's that idea of understanding what someone else is going through, um, which is a little abstract for kids. Um, but over time, you can start to point to situations so they get it. I will say that I'm a very connected educator. I'm friends with teachers around the world based on some of the experiences that I've had. And um, as I've opened my eyes to teachers around the U.S. and around the world, I've um, really had my own sense of empathy strengthened and increased. Yeah. I mentioned us connecting with a classroom in Nigeria last year. I used a tool called Empatico for that. And I started to uh, talk with the teacher first before we introduced our students to each other. And my teacher, um, partner teacher was amazing. Um, He revealed to me that he teaches fourth grade with 55 students Mm -hmm. and very few supplies. Yeah. And so we we have a lot of challenges in the U.S. education system, but I immediately kind of was stopped cold in my tracks, you know, thinking about my 22 students versus his 55 students, things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, in your classroom, um, you have to talk about empathy. We had a little situation recently where um, empathy was clearly um, at happening. Um, We get these fresh uh, snacks three times a week and we had apples one day and um, some of the kids uh, didn't want the apples. So they left them on the table and some kids wanted more apples. So what happened is that like six more kids wanted apples and there were only five bags of apples left. And someone said, can I have a bag of apples? I said, actually, they're gone. I'm sorry. And another student just looked up and opened their bag of apples with a pair of scissors and walked over to that student and gave them half the apples. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're just Mm -hmm. thinking, okay, that kid over there wants some apples, doesn't have any. How could I kind of like respond to that situation? Imagine how that would feel. And they were just, you know, kind of simply driven to share the apples. Um, So there's a lot of things you can do with that. I mentioned I have an empathy meter in my classroom and the kids. Yes. I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah. So this is really interesting. Um, So I mentioned the the circles we do. um, And one day we had just a really crappy recess, like people were arguing and fighting and all these people that are friends are coming in upset and crying and putting on red bracelets. And I'm like, okay. Oh God, they're all coming in switching their bracelets. (laughs) Yeah. Like that recess is a big time after recess when we switch (laughs) their bracelets. So I've even run out of red ones sometimes and I'm just like, whoa. (laughs) So that tells me I actually need to stop teaching and have a problem solving circle. So right, we did right. that this day and you, you go through the school year and what happens, kids start to act like siblings sometimes. So they start to treat each other not so nicely, which is like a comfort level thing, but it also can be a problem. Yeah. Um, but anyway, kids are talking about people hurting their feelings at recess. I couldn't do this. They weren't listening to me. They were yelling at me. So this one student in my class raised her hand and she said, why don't we create an empathy meter? And we can see how we're doing. And I was like, what? And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. What do you mean by that? She said, well, we could make almost like a rainbow of empathy. And like on one end is where we're being really empathetic. And on the other side, there's not. And we could like move something on it to show when we're being empathetic. And I said, okay. And again, how can I disappoint my students? I'm like, sure, I'll work on this tonight and bring it in tomorrow. So I had to go home and I just got some poster board and I drew up what I thought would be a visual representation of what she said, brought it in the next day. And they loved it. And um, we put a magnet on there every day. And when people are empathetic or not, they slide the magnet. They don't have to ask me. They can get up and do it. And one situation recently, the kids were um, working in table groups. I have like tables of four. And that's also, FYI, very intentional for social emotional learning, not single desk, but always groups of kids. Mm-hmm. And one kid, um, one student started to cry in the middle of an activity. And he went over to the breathing bench where he can breathe. So he knew he was upset. He could walk over to this breeding bench and like three kids went over to him and say, hey, hey, are you okay? Do you need something? It's all right. It's going to be okay. And another person saw that. So walked up to the empathy meter and slid the magnet Mm. all the way over Mm -hmm. to the side of being empathetic. So again, I'm like my teacher heart swelling with pride because that's 
social emotional learning happening authentically. Yeah. I'm not guiding it. You just put the tools in place, put them out there and you see what they do. And they, I I mean, that's pretty great for second graders to even know what to call that. Yes. Yeah. It was, that has been a game changer. So that's, that's stayed up and some days, man, we're way on the wrong side of the empathy meter and other days we crush it and it's, it's just what happens. Yeah. Um, But it brings a lot of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's the fourth competency? Okay. So next we're going to go to relationship skills and, you know, Mm -hmm. we know that this is something that's so necessary for our kids in school and so necessary for us to um, succeed as educators. So we have to model successful relationships at the schoolhouse with everyone, right? So it's with other teachers, it's with uh, our custodian staff, our nutrition staff, it's with parents, it's with office staff, it's with everyone. And um, I really model this authentically by purposefully trying to create positive relationships with everyone. Mm -hmm. And one of my personal mantras um, around being mindful is to notice and not judge. So, you know, there might be teachers who are struggling or teachers who are doing things that I don't agree with or things that I don't do, but I, I make that totally outside the space where I have a relationship with them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I model um, treating people well. I always ask our custodian who comes in to change um, the trash can liner after breakfast in our classroom. How's your baby doing? How are you? How are you? And and model that in front of the students and the kids start asking her questions about her baby and how she is. And um, we have to really intentionally do that. Make sure we're not just hanging around with the people that we like and have things in common with but create relationships, visible relationships with all different kinds of people so they can see that as well. So they um, aren't afraid to do the same thing. Got it. Do you, do you have any kind of exercises or anything sort of with the students where you're directly teaching those skills apart Um, from just the general modeling? Yeah. So even in the beginning of the year, um, we do a game where we ask questions of each other. And it's like a list of 20 questions. And then we rotate and ask the same questions of someone else until you've done that with five or six people in the classroom. Mm -hmm. That's to reveal commonalities Mm -hmm. um, around interests and things like that. Um, We also work as a team on different projects and we have to problem solve. So uh, here's an example. Recently, we're doing a project where we're trying to help the environment. Mm -hmm. And one of the pieces of the project was that we're collecting plastic bags to donate to a company who makes recycled benches out of plastic bags. Mm -hmm. So the kids wanted to set up a drive in school and we collected these for like a month and a half and we've got tons of bags and I just brought them all into the classroom and I said, we have to count them. And they were like, what? I'm like, yeah, we're going to, this is math today. We're going to count these plastic bags. So I had uh, kids split up into groups of four. I had them brainstorm how they think they could count the bags then you create a protocol at your table where kids get a talking piece and they all share their ideas in uh, like a round robin fashion. Mm-hmm. So they listen to each other and then they have to agree on the method that they're going to use to count them. So we had five different tables and everybody came up with systems using knowledge of place value, tens and hundreds to count mm-hmm. the bags. Mm-hmm. And they had to, at the end of the day, uh, be successful and explain their method to the rest of the class. So I think that just forces or I'm going to say helps kids uh, listen to each other, yeah. validates ideas, and then comes to a, a space where you're um, rallying around an idea um, that makes sense, even if it's not your own. Right. And then we realized by the end of the math period that we had collected over 5,000 plastic bags to donate to this not-for-profit. Wow. And they're all in my garage right now, so I can't drop them off because of coronavirus, but I will when Jeez. I can. Yeah. And so it develops this like intense sense of pride and teamwork while they navigated this like seemingly simple task of figuring out how to do something in the classroom. 
So, so that's another important piece of teachers are wanting to teach social emotional learning, but they're only teaching it in the abstract. Yeah. It's not going to go as far as actually giving them opportunities to interact with each other and practice some of the stuff that you're teaching. So that exactly. So you just nailed it. And that's actually why the reason or the, um, that's why it's not a binder, right? right? Because you don't want to teach it in these artificial scenarios where of course everyone can, I don't know, fill out this worksheet with the steps that you do to be a good yeah. team player or something. I know what I'm supposed to do, but am I going to really do it when I'm put into a, a more challenging situation with other people? Yeah. And we had a, same, a similar thing recently. They were building bridges and teams and they had to go through a similar protocol of like brainstorming idea generation, listening to each other, selecting, and then going through the actual teamwork of creating the product and then presenting it to the class in like a strength and stability test. Yeah. Yeah. So that was science and math I just explained to you where we mm-hmm. did a ton of SEL mm-hmm. and there was no binder and no SEL block involved. And you and you actually got a lot of the curriculum oh, I yeah. hate to use the word covered, but you got a lot of the curriculum covered. Yeah, we did. We went through, you in know, meantime, yeah. those units. Yeah. So that's the way and I'll be honest, everyone out there, it's so much more fun to teach that way, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So you are facilitating stepping back and like if you see things happening like if there's an argument or some teams are stuck, you step in and start asking some questions and things like that, but um, it's a beautiful way to live in the classroom from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And you're getting the SEL taken care of at the same time. So yeah, exactly. it's, it is all integrated. Mm-hmm. It's nice too, because there are a lot more models now that are starting to become more popular of, of, you know, project-based learning schools and schools that emphasize design thinking and, yeah. and inquiry learning. And so that all of that builds in the SEL sort of automatically, because you're trying to figure stuff out with other people. You're going to have these more relationship building skills that are going to become much more handy. Mm-hmm. And it also gives you these contexts to talk about. You can sort of review and reflect after the fact on how things went and, yeah. and sort of further build those skills and the vocabulary around it. So yeah, it's a great thing to do after an activity like I just explained is have a circle yeah. and like have a reflection circle on it. Um, you just, I think of, of several podcasts ago, you did one around collaborative learning mm-hmm. and I just had some training recently with Kagan and Kagan has a lot of structures around building this intentionally, mm-hmm. the relationship piece while you're um, addressing content and you know, you integrate those things and they become your norm. It's also very extremely helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So we are ready for number five, number the fifth five. competency. All right. So if I like number five, because if you're doing all those things, if you're self-aware, mm-hmm. if you can manage yourself and you have good relationship skills and you're socially aware, that should result in number five, which is responsible decision-making. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is you want to, um, the best way I can explain this is that as you're as you're going through your day, as you're going through your time with your students, you want to notice constantly, notice and reflect on what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. So did you make a good decision in a certain situation? Yes. Okay. So what did you do that supported that uh, good decision making? Well, I was starting to get upset, but I really, man, I did, I engaged in some self-management, um, cool down practices so I could keep going with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And conversely, when you get through a, a, a block of time or an incident where things did not go well, reflecting um, equally as well. So you can identify what didn't go wrong and then work on preventing that from happening in the future. In my classroom, we literally have um, a visual that says, stop, think, decide. And whenever we're in these problem solving circles after things don't go well at recess or with a classroom activity, the kids always go back and say, well, we need to go back and make sure we're stopping and thinking and deciding, but that's just so hard to do Mm -hmm. because it requires a ton of awareness and a slowdown. Right. And Everything that we're faced with in the classroom, cover this content, be on your pacing guide, make sure this is happening. It kind of runs counter to that. 
But if you can embed that in your practice as well and model it, you can go far. So we've all been there when you're doing a lesson and it's like happening before you and you're like, this is the worst lesson on earth. This lesson sucks. So, yeah. right. And you have to, sometimes you have to be like, okay, stop. We're not like, this is totally not working. I might say, guys, we're going to stop. Um, I'm going to give you yep. a five minute brain break. And then I just kind of like stand there and think about what to talk about, what's going well, what's not going well. And then you can restart and I'll literally stand up and point to that um, visual that we've got and be like, I stopped here because of this trying to think about where to go next. What are you guys thinking? I'll get some input from the students and then you can almost like reboot. And so I think not being afraid to do that in front of the kids is huge. And then even sharing that with your um, learning, the other adults in your building is huge too. Like sharing those stories at our PLCs or at faculty meetings. Um, we want to share successes, but we also want to share normalized failures so we can help other people be able to acknowledge them when they're happening. It sounds like transparency is really the key for all of these with you. Yeah. So, so it's like vulnerability and transparency and empathy, yeah. right? Like those words, which means, and all of those point to like being uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. Time. So if we can just get, yeah. if we can just get comfortable with our discomfort, that's where a lot of this is going to happen. And then think about what we're asking our students to do. We're asking them to be uncomfortable as they learn or they get through like challenging concepts in math, things like that. Um, so if we can do that, talk about it, show it, and own it, I think then that our students will be able to do the same. So if uh, if people want to learn more from you or just see more of what you're about, where can they find you online? Um, so I'm very active on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Twitter at Mrs. Wendy M. Turner. That is a ridiculously long Twitter handle, <laughs> but I made it like three years ago, and now I can't change it. So. <laughs> At Mrs. Wendy M. Turner, don't forget the M. And I do tweet daily and I love to, I will share things I'm doing in my classroom and I will also share um, resources that I'm uh, using that help me. And I also do blog um, and train around the topics of SEL and and global education. So I'm out there. And I have a teacher Facebook page. It's um, Wendy Turner 2017 Delaware Teacher of the Year. Great. And we're going to have links to both of those um, over on your post too, so that people can follow you. Yeah. And definitely reach out to me. I do get emails um, literally from around the world since I've been doing a lot of this work and I always answer everyone. And I learn from the people that reach out to me all the time. So I I welcome that. Yeah. I I know exactly what you mean when you you have that relationship. You can just, because we we don't all have our, our, all of the answers ourselves. So the more people you're in touch with, the more great stuff you can find out from them. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this and for just bringing this to my attention too, because this really is, it's an important topic and it's almost becoming more relevant right now. Right. Exactly. Thank you. I, it was a pleasure and I appreciate being here. Thanks so much. Thank you. For links to all the resources mentioned in this episode and to read Wendy's guest post in full, visit cultofpedagogy.com, click podcast and choose episode 143. To get a weekly email from me about my newest blog posts, podcast episodes, and products, sign up for my mailing list at cultofpedagogy.com slash subscribe. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.